you know, things can happen when you least expect them. And that's what happened with us on June 26th. It was a regular Saturday. I was getting my final touches on my sermon, my class ready. Uh, we woke up with a water leak, and so the plumber was there. Uh, Catherine was increasingly more uncomfortable, and she was on the phone to our doctor, who's a, or to our daughter, who's a doctor. And um, and finally, the decision was made in the afternoon to go to the emergency room, and there things kind of spiraled. But it, but it started off as a somewhat normal day. And I can imagine that for Moses, it was a normal day. One day out of 40 years of taking care of animals in the wilderness. Uh, Just sheep and goats, right? Either following them or leading them. And then all of a sudden, into this peaceful day, God appears. Because for what was a peaceful day for Moses was a horrible day for God's people in Egypt. It was one more day after years and years of suffering, of cruelty, of pain and anguish. And so sometimes when God interrupts and disrupts our peace, it's because there is pain somewhere else. And God wants to alleviate that pain. And so he disrupts our lives to then invite us into a dialogue, a conversation, into a deeper relationship with him. And and as we think through the text that Ben read, let me suggest four points or lessons that I see in the text. It's a very familiar story and one that really never gets old. The the first point is God knows. God knows. A common question when we are hurting is, God, can't you see? Don't you know? And the answer is yes. In the first verses that Ben read, and then it it is reiterated in chapter 3, verse 7, God emphasizes, I have seen, I have heard, I know, I am aware of the pain. A lot of times when we cry out to God, we think that we're letting him know for the first time, hey, God, I'm here and I'm hurting. But our cry to him is not the first indication. It's not the first notice. He saw where we are from when the moment the pain began. He is aware of where we are. And it's very possible and even likely that he's already taken steps by the time we pray to send an answer. By the time God heard the cries of the Israelite people, God was already intimately aware And already working. Some of you will remember the older versions uh, when it said that God knew, uh, uh, Adam knew his wife Eve. Remember, and you've always said, knew? I thought, wait a second, I thought, you know, they already knew each other. Well, that's the Greek, uh, that's the Hebrew word, yada. In in, in Yiddish or in in English, it might be yada, and, and it might be part of the yada, yada, yada. I don't know how yada, yada, yada came about, but that is the Hebrew word, yada. But it suggests an intimate knowledge. 
beyond what you can see at a distance. It means being intimately involved in someone. And God is intimately aware of our personal pain. And he begins the process to rescue us. Even before we're even aware of what he's doing. But sometimes the way it feels to us. If we don't get an immediate response, we assume because we can't see what God's doing. We assume that he's not working or we assume that he doesn't know or we assume that he doesn't care. But just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean it's not happening. When we lived in Argentina, we would come back to the States every couple of years on furlough to visit with our supporters and also visit our family. And our kids who were born between the U.S. and Argentina, but all as small children grew up. And every time we would come back and we would visit a church, they would invariably, and we would have to prep them on how to respond. They, they would run into people who would want to just pinch their cheeks and say, oh, do you remember me? I used to babysit you when you were a kid. And, the, and, and we would teach them, say, oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Well, that's what we would teach them to say, right? Because they would, you know, they wanted to say, of course not. I was a baby. How am I going to remember you? But that's just part of us, right? We know and we assume that if we know, they should know. But the kids, they're kids. Well, we assume that if we don't know, that God doesn't know either. And it's like, yeah, no, I know. And my heart bleeds. And my tears roll for you and your pain as much as they do from your own eyes. God knows. So then why does it take so long? <laughs> well, it's because of the second point. God knows, but God doesn't work alone. You know, the news to Moses that God was going to respond to the cries of his people must have been music to Moses's ears. Finally, God is going to intervene. He's going to do something for the good of his people. But the music turns a little bit shrill when God explains how he's going to relieve the people of their suffering. As I was working on this, I remembered this week the story of the belling of the cat, I think is how the story is told, the fable where there was this group of mice that were extremely afraid of a cat, a predatory cat that was running around. And so the mice got together and had their little meeting and say, you know what we need to do? Someone needs to put a bell on the cat. Oh, that idea, just a wonderful idea. Everyone was so happy, high-fiving and cheering and shouting. And, and then someone said, yeah, but, but, but who, who's going to do it? <laughs> oh, well, wait a second. That's a whole different situation. God is not a lone ranger. Now, he could be, right? If there's anybody in the existence of the world that could be, God could be. But he has decided he will not work alone. He is a part of a divine community, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he takes the initiative to work through a divine community, the people of God, the church, you and me. And he has chosen to use us as his instruments. And what that means is sometimes we're a little slow on the take. 
He enlists his very own creation to join and partner with him in what he wants to do. A bush. He created that bush. And now he's saying, hey, bush, do this for me. I need you to be a medium for my message. Bush says, okay, light me up. And that bush was lit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was lit. You didn't get, you know, you, you, you're, yeah, the young people got it, right? Yeah. And they didn't think it was funny either, so there you go. God takes an ordinary man like Moses, does extraordinary things. God doesn't work alone, and so that means sometimes from point A to point B takes longer. But that's how God has chosen to operate. So he chooses, chooses this man, Moses. And, and, and that leads us to point three. God knows he doesn't work alone. And three, he doesn't call perfect people. He perfects the people he calls. When God shares with Moses his plan, Moses' response is, whoa, 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 what? Who, me? No, no. Who, who am I? I mean, I've got a past, you know. I'm wanted for murder in Egypt. I, I, I've got a present. I failed public speaking. Maybe you are not aware of that, God, but I'm not a great speaker. And then I'm worried about the future. I mean, who's going to follow me? Who's going to listen to me? Who's going to pay any attention to me? I'm just this shepherd from Midian. Now, in this process of conversation between these chapters, Moses is going to raise objection after objection after objection to God's plan. Maybe it's just me, but I kind of find it funny that a guy with speech difficulties is arguing with God <laughs> to say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Moses's final plea, which comes after the reading for today, is simply, oh, Lord, please send someone else. God's basic answer to Moses' obje uh, Moses's objections is... Don't worry. I'll be with you. You don't have to be perfect because I am going to be perfect and I will work in and through you. In fact, if you were perfect, I probably wouldn't be able to do anything in you because you wouldn't want me and you wouldn't look for me. And so with all of our imperfections, they allow God to be able to work in us to achieve his purpose. God knows God doesn't work alone. He doesn't call perfect people. But then lastly, our vision of God is always going to be clouded in mystery. Always. So Moses now moves from who am I to who are you? I don't even know your name. Tell me your name. And God says, okay. Here goes. <laughs> and the centuries and centuries long confusion about the name of God begins on that day. When God gives us what we want and what we ask for, do things always get better? No, not always. 
I, I mean, God gives his name. I am. His first response is, I am who I am. And that's in Hebrew, four letters referred to as the Tetragrammaton. Those four letters are never pronounced in and never have been pronounced in the Hebrew religion. So no one knows exactly how to pronounce them. There's confusion, as you've probably been aware, between how do you say it? Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, Yahweh, just any number of different options and possibilities. And then in many Bibles, it doesn't even say Jehovah or Yahweh. It just says the Lord, because that's the Hebrew practice. Whenever they saw those four letters, they never pronounced God's name. But what they said was the Lord, Adonai. And so then that practice has been continued. For people of that day, a person's name had a lot more to do with their identity. It was who they were. It is a little foreign to us, but if we think about our, if we look at not our name so much, but our reputation, what are we known for? When you think of XYZ person, do you think of an upstanding, uh, uh, honorable, God-honoring person? And so God's name is tied to his person. And it's I am, which also could be translated I was, and it could be also translated I will be. And it's very cryptic, but I think it's intentionally so. Because if we can understand God perfectly, what we do is we're going to put God in this little box. Oh yeah, I've got God figured out. I know exactly what he's going to do. I know exactly what he's like. I know exactly what he's going to say. I don't know exactly how he's going to respond. And then we don't need God anymore because we already know. And any time we make God small enough to fit into our minds, we've taken away something from God that doesn't really, that doesn't fit with what we want. You know, I think Jesus, when he came, he identified himself as the great I am. And if you look at the book of John, you'll see those different times that he says, I am. And so he's in continuing in that line, but we, we, we run into a danger where we've kind of taken the image of Jesus and made him into this, if you'll forgive the phrase, cuddly little domesticated lamb. Nice Jesus. Cute Jesus. Sweet Jesus. And we forget that he's the Lion of Judah. Lord of Lords. King of Kings. There's no doubt that Jesus shows us in an intimate way what God is like. But that doesn't mean we should ever assume that we know exactly what Jesus is or what Jesus is like. I think read through the book of Revelation, you see images of Jesus that that are, are beyond anything that we find in the four Gospels. So God knows he doesn't work alone. He doesn't call perfect people. He perfects the people he calls. And his vision in our minds is always going to be clouded in mystery. 
So what does that mean for us? What do we do? What does this do for us today? What does it mean to be called by God? You know, it's possible that you showed up here today or you're just watching from home and it's just another Sunday. I've been in ministry for over 40 years and 40 years of Sundays and it's just one more Sunday. It's just one more church service, one more Facebook session, one more Zoom class. But it's also possible that maybe God is showing up for you today. And maybe he's appearing to you in a way that you haven't thought about and haven't seen. And I think today God is calling us on two levels. First, he's calling us as outsiders to come in. He's calling us as sinners to come into his kingdom. He's calling us as those who have been wandering to come home. And I think we would say that many of us have found a home. But then beyond that, he's calling us to then serve. He didn't call us home to put our feet up in the lazy boy recliner. He called us to come home and then join him in what he's doing. Throughout the world, since this service began, hundreds, thousands, if not millions of prayers have been raised up to God. And you might very well be the answer to one of those prayers today. As you think through the prayer list that Jeff will share with us in just a minute, as you think through what you see on the news, as what you see in your social media, as you think through the situations and circumstances that surround the people around us, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our home, in our country, I want you to remember You are the answer. God wants to use you. And if that person prays and says, God, how long? Where are they? When are you going to (laughs) help? When you feel touched, then God is saying, you know what? It's time to move. The conversation that God had with Moses is played out every single day. God says, I choose you. Yeah, but I'm a nobody. I'll go with you. Yeah, but I don't know what to say. I'll tell you. Yeah, but what if they don't believe me? It's not your job. Yeah, but look at me. I know. I made you. And after all the excuses and all the back and forth, God still says, come. He chooses you. And you are the answer to someone's prayer today. And so let's answer with yes. Here I am, Lord. I am your servant. If you have a prayer request, you can jot it in the text. You can send it, uh, um, uh, jot it in the chat. You can send it by text, email. Uh, You can write it on a piece of paper and get it to one of our elders or ministers today. Uh, Please, when God calls... Let's all say, here I am. 